Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the summer, we have been looking at the Gospel of Luke. And one of the very first scripture accounts that we examined took place as Jesus was entering into Samaria and encountered a village that didn't want anything to do with him and were very inhospitable to him. You might recall that in response to being turned away, James and John said, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy this village. Jesus did not agree. He instead told them that he was going to be doing something different. And in many ways, all of these chapters that we have been looking at have to do with making sure that those who follow Jesus will unlearn the ways of this world and will learn what it means to love and to be a true follower of Jesus. Instead of being inhospitable and turning away, instead of making enemies or destroying enemies, Jesus has been driving at hospitality, loving our enemies and changing the way our hearts and our minds see others. Jesus has been driving us to love God as he loves us, to love our neighbors as God loves us. And so it shouldn't surprise us that today, once again, Jesus is teaching us more of the same and changing our assumptions in the way we interact with others. Now, if you've been paying attention, you probably also noticed that oftentimes Jesus' teachings have been done around food or in homes. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, you've seen a feeding of 5,000. You heard a story about a friend who needed some loaves of bread at midnight. We've seen Jesus be a guest at Matthew the tax collector's house, at Mary and Martha's house. And soon, he'll be visiting wee little Zacchaeus as he calls him down from that sycamore tree. But in each of these scriptural accounts, we have witnessed Jesus changing the way we do hospitality. Changing those set rules that existed of sending people away to get their own food when they're hungry to not eating with sinners, only eating with your friends and those you like. Much of Jesus' teachings and parables throughout Luke so far lead us to the real example that we encounter today. Now to be very clear as you open up your Bibles and we look at Luke 14, our reading today ends at chapter 14, verse 14. But Jesus' lessons on hospitality take up the entire chapter and end with what it really costs to be a disciple. But today's real-life hospitality lesson, wouldn't you know it, takes place once again in a home. A home where if ever hospitality was, be shown, was to be shown, it was here at this prominent Pharisee's house. But we will see just how very far from the heart of God this Pharisee and his guests are. So, Bible's out. If you brought them or follow along with me, if you will, in your bulletin or, of course, the Words will appear on the screen behind me as we examine our text today. On Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He's being carefully watched. In front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling. Jesus said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They are silent. So taking hold of the man, he heals him. Then he says, if one of you has a child, an ox falls into a well, won't you immediately help them? But they had nothing to say. It seems that for as much trouble as the Pharisees give Jesus in love, he still is willing to eat with them. And the text tells us that he is invited to dine at a very prominent 
Pharisee's house. I think it's safe to assume that probably everyone at the feast is a Pharisee, for it is not a stretch of the imagination in any way to think that they had just worshipped together at the synagogue and are now walking to the leader's home for the Sabbath meal. They had been called to worship and are now called to eat a meal together in one of their leader's homes. Now for Sabbath worship and Sabbath meal, they were frequently following one another, and in a way are supposed to mirror each other. It's supposed to be a continuity between what we are freely given and what we receive in worship to what we are freely given and now receive at the meal. For the Sabbath, as you know, was created as a day to open our hearts, our mouths, to take it all in, to rest and in gratitude receive. Receive forgiveness, receive reorientation, receive food, receive the much-needed break. Because, friends, like it or not, we as human beings are very needy creatures. Need food, drink, shelter, clothing. We need God. None of us are sufficient to ourselves. Each one of us rely on others and on God to receive. From the crops, to the farmer, to the truck driver, to the grocer, to the preparer of the meal. Even from birth, we are in need to receive from our mothers. But as we get older and maturer, we start to feel a little independent. Because we're not in need so much anymore. Now we can kind of look after ourselves. We know our way around. We have become familiar with what it takes I mean, how many of you get to sit at the adult table at Thanksgiving? J.D., put your hand down. You're my nephew. I know for a fact you don't sit at the adult table yet. Just kidding. Often unaware that even though we're older, we're still just as dependent as ever. Still in need. But like I said, we learn how to play the game, understand the rules, what it do to takes. Familiar. We get it. But that can be a very dangerous place to be. See, in our text today, the Pharisees are extremely familiar with worship and Sabbath and hospitality. This is what they do. They are experts at it. They know more than anyone else when it comes to worship, hospitality, and Sabbath. And here they've just come from worship. But already they've forgotten. Because really, what is just one more Sunday, one more Sabbath, one more time in worship when it's become so familiar, so routine, so regular? It becomes just a going through the motions, all to get on to the next thing because the day is very busy. And in our text, the next thing for the Pharisees was to see and watch what Jesus would do, and not in a good way. They watched him carefully, meaning they watched him with a very sinister intent. Which, side note here, no doubt this type of watching is what Paul has in mind for us in 2 Corinthians when he writes, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Meaning that you are letters from Jesus that all people read. Only that the letters aren't written with ink, but with the Holy Spirit. Not on paper, but on the way you live your lives. There are many who say that the only kind of Bible someone will ever read is you and what they see. And I think that is certainly true of what our children and our friends see. But I digress. Back to the text, please, Mr. Prim. The Pharisees, who are about to eat a meal with a man 
who has a reputation of eating with sinners and not keeping the rules, the way of life that they teach, is coming. And so instead of talking about the worship or the word, instead of being filled with gratitude and joy at everything they have received from God, they're familiar with that. They want to do something else. They've turned their eyes to do something that they can't help but love to do. Carefully watch Jesus and try to catch him in a transgression, a wrong thing. Can you imagine that? Just waiting for someone to mess up? Sitting around listening, but really only listening for something to accuse them of? Something to get angry about? Not caring at all about that actual person, but just waiting for that opportune moment when they're going to say something or do something and you get to destroy, crush, and point out how wrong and awful they are. What kind of culture would that be like to live in, huh? What kind of people would do that? And you can see in the text that Jesus doesn't disappoint them. There's a man sitting beside the road with abnormal swelling for you web MDers out there. That's what doctors now call edema, the retention of water in the joints, making it movement awkward and painful when and if possible. Is that correct, Dr. Knapp? He has given me the holy nod. Jesus asked these Pharisees, who again had just come from worship, who had just received, is it okay to help this man? Not if it's the right thing to do, but because it's the Sabbath, is it okay to heal this man? The Pharisees, probably sensing a taste of their own medicine, feel they're being baited, so they say nothing. The issue is never about healing directly, but healing on the Sabbath. When Jesus healed the man, his accusers claimed that he worked on the Sabbath, violated God's command, but that's not true. With the question, Jesus is reminding them that there's no command against healing on the Sabbath. Jesus didn't break the commandments of God, but he did offend often man's tradition. The traditions that surrounded and extended the commandments of God. Put a nice little box around them. Extra weight upon them. A lesson here that we must never take the traditions of man, even the good ones, and bring them equal to the commandments of God. But you can see that Jesus takes their silence as permission because he heals the man and sends him on his way and then exposes the ridiculousness of their Sabbath rules by bringing them into the world of love, into the world of common sense with the question, if they would rescue a drowning child, on the Sabbath or let that person die. Again, they say nothing. And you know, I used to get very ha-ha when I would see the Pharisees just get wrecked like this. But now when I read, it's really only ever three things. Disappointment, understanding, and this desire for more. I read this and see disappointment because they should know better. They should know better and they should be filled with a desire to help, to serve, and to love. Understanding, I feel, because too often when I'm reading these encounters, I see my own struggles. It's funny because when I open up the Bible to read, I always think I'm going to see, I'm going to be Jesus in this story. At least I'm going to see myself as of doing the things that Jesus is doing. But more often than not, I find myself just like these Pharisees, struggling, staying silent. Being the one needing correcting. From disappointment to understanding to a desire for more. 
The text continues, and now we're inside the house. We don't get any conversation, no follow-up to the miracle, which, by the way, since the man's affliction obviously affected the way he looked, it should be understand that this man's body must have been immediately transformed, gone from huge swelling to the ability to move and walk again, sent on his way. This is a remarkable miracle. But it doesn't seem like anybody cared that much. In fact, if all we have to go on here is how they responded by their actions, well, then it seems the guests were more concerned about pushing and shoving for the place of honor. The miracle that they just witnessed, well, they certainly cared much more about where they were going to sit than some beggar who was just healed. Seems like the Sabbath meal especially when it's here at the home of the most prominent Pharisee in the land, is the place where you can be seen. That's a very, very important person. Only if you get the right seat. You've got to sit right next to the host because the closer to the host, the more important you are. That's what they cared about. Not the miracle that happened before them. Certainly not the man whose life was changed. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine working so hard just to be noticed? Ignoring a miracle, ignoring a person who has just been healed and gotten their life back because you are so preoccupied with where you will sit and what others are going to think of you. So concerned with seeming to be important, panting and exhausting yourself so that others will praise you. What kind of life is that? What kind of people would do that. But before we just blame the guests, let's take a moment to think about the host and why the competition of sitting next to the host was so important, so intense among them. Can you imagine hosting a party and creating an environment where everyone there will stop at nothing to be near you? Watching people who have convinced themselves that sitting next to you is going to bring them honor, glory, fame. The jealousy of everyone in the room. All along, these people are ignorant of the obligations and favors that they now owe you as the host because you allowed this person to sit next to you, allowed them to be near your presence, using your power to manipulate others, all the while pretending to be hospitable and a good host while you lord your status and your privilege over them. What kind of host is that? What kind of person would do that? And when we are done seeing ourselves in these Pharisees disappointed with the way we've acted, when you desire more, before you respond, Turn your eyes upon Jesus who is your host because that is the very first thing you must do. Your Jesus who is God and comes to you, who as God and host comes to you and will wrap a towel around himself, will wash your feet, will break the bread himself, will give the cup, will encourage those at his table and will even pray for those at his table. Will give all. Even those who abused their power and sought praise over the kingdom, he gives a place at his table. Your Jesus, who as God and host will drink the cup of wrath for every guest in his house, 
who will work his way to the cross. Your Jesus, God and host, who will call you his friend and who will let nothing separate you from him. Who is God and host, takes the wrong and messed up hearts of his guests and restores, redeems, and recreates them. Who as God and host will show you just how loved and valued you are to him. That is the host that you have, the table where you sit. And so in grace and mercy, your host will call you to do the same and will give you opportunity after opportunity to be a host. Has provided each one of us here with gift, resources, and abilities and everything we need to go and do like he does. So that when your opportunity as host comes, you will exercise generosity. We are called to look at what we have been given and use it to better the people of God and to love our neighbor, the surrounding community. We are called to give. And in case the parables of hoarding for yourself and not giving, in case the parables of thinking we are better than others and their problems aren't ours, and to learn to look the other way and not see the need around you, we're just stories that maybe you should listen to. Here is the real-life example of what it looks like to harbor a heart for yourself versus a heart for others. Your Lord Jesus makes it very clear. You can judge, manipulate, work or you can give it is amazing to me how little we must give in order to make a profound difference last week Dr. Dudley had a little sign out there in the courtyard talking about grace works if you're unfamiliar with what grace works is it's an organization that we partner with in Kenya, where they have children, almost a hundred children, but they have many on the waiting list. Last I heard, they needed 31 more sponsorships. 31 more sponsorships. Well, what does a sponsorship give them? Well, for $50 a month, that's right, a couple to eat at Chick-fil-A once, for $50 a month, you will ensure that that child receives education, food, have access to medicine, shelter, will have the ability to have a life, will go from poor, abandoned orphan into learning to having a career, to being a human being. How little we have to give so that others can be free. Look how the text closes. There is something wonderful in giving a gift that can never be repaid. More than likely, you will never see the child that you sponsor. will never know how their life was made different in giving a gift that they could never repay you with. But this is what Jesus spoke of when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And you will find that in that way of living, in that way of giving, that will cost you something. Yet the promise is that you will be repaid. How important it is to live with this eternal perspective that Jesus calls us to, the resurrection at the end. What were the words of that hymn that we sang just a couple of weeks ago? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How strangely dim it will be when we look back at what we have done for ourselves compared to the glory that comes when we answer our Lord's call and love others. And it's with this promise, this belief of what Jesus has declared that I'd like to close today with the prayer. Now this kind of prayer is one that I find myself often doing when I have spent some time in the text that really challenges me, really moves me. I try to use the text as a guide to my praying. I try to enter myself into the text. Not so that I can look at it and be like, okay, when I go to the next party, sit as far away from the host so that he'll move me up. Not with a to-do list way, a type of manipulation once again. But a type that when I enter into the text, I will feel. I will ask God to examine my heart and to show me what it is that needs to be changed, to feel and to empathize so that when we see Jesus and what Jesus does, we may, through the work of the Holy Spirit, be like Him. So with this text today, I enter in and I move myself away from the one giving the party and instead allow myself to be a guest and Jesus as my host. I see in this text that it is the Lord Jesus who has invited me to sit at his table. And so as we join our hearts in one and all say the prayer, I would encourage you to do the same, to close your eyes and let yourself see yourself seated at the Lord's table, your host who comes to you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have invited us into your home, the very place where you are. You have given us a seat at your table. And Lord, it's clear, we are the blind ones, we are the crippled, we are the lame, we are the poor. And yet it is you who have blessed us. When our soul is weary, when we are troubled, when darkness is all that we see, feel, you are the light. Thy word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. In you there is life, there is abundant life, there is freedom from this way of the world. You have freed us, Lord Jesus. We sit at your table, freed from sin, freed from the need to feel important, freed from the desire to be seen in this world. So we fix our eyes, we turn our eyes to look at your face, to see you and your beauty, your grace, your gentleness, your love. Help us to give as you have given. Help us to yield to your will, to strive for your kingdom. Drive us away from the things of comfort and ease and help us to cling to your heart. For better is one day in your house 
Truly better is it to be at your table than anywhere else. For never do you leave us, never do you forsake us. Our hands are open, our hearts are yours, and you come to us. We give you praise. In your name, amen.